When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Behind the Money with the Financial Times. I'm Amy Keene. This week on the podcast, we're looking at why U.S. stock markets seem to be tuning out the threat of a looming trade war. The old saying goes that markets hate uncertainty. And after a week with a public breakdown of the G7 countries and the U.S. imposing $50 billion worth of tariffs on Chinese goods, a lot of people expected to see a big slide in financial markets. Instead, it was as flat and boring a week as you could possibly imagine for the stock market. So why aren't investors bracing for tougher times ahead? What a pleasure it is to welcome uh, President Trump to uh, Charlevoix. A little more than a week ago, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau welcomed Donald Trump and leaders of the rest of the G7 countries to a resort town outside of Quebec City in Canada for the group's annual summit. An opportunity for us to uh, talk about a broad range of of issues. Obviously, uh, trade has been a topic of discussion and will continue to be. And the FT senior investment commentator John Authors was watching it unfold to see how markets would react. Going into the the summit, the big question was about tariffs on uh, steel and aluminium. Several months ago, the president announced the U.S. would impose tariffs on steel and aluminium. At first, he said they wouldn't apply to the U.S.'s closest allies, including Canada, Mexico and the European Union. Then very surprisingly, uh, the week before uh, the leaders met in Quebec, came the announcement that uh, the uh, tariffs were going to be on uh, as originally suggested. And very offensively, if you're a close military ally of uh, the US, as uh, Canada in particular is, uh, the reason for this was national security. Industrial democracies have convened in an atmosphere of argument over President Trump's trade demands. Relations are tense, to put it mildly, after the president put new tariffs on imported steel and aluminum from the European Union, Canada and Mexico. Those nations are now threatening new tariffs on their own U.S. products. We have massive trade deficits with almost every country. We will straighten that out. Once there, the mood music is very negative. He arrives late, leaves early. We see uh, famous photographs of him looking like a schoolyard bully with his arms closed while uh, the other leaders, particularly uh, Angela Merkel, who looks quite a lot like a school principal in in that photo, are remonstrating with him. So it's very, very damaging imagery. But you end with what normally happens at these summits, which is that they agree on something anodyne that they're all going to to sign. The communique that resulted is basically something that says more or less nothing, that they uh, pledged to continue with the uh, rules-based international order. And then 
after Mr. Trump has left the conference, uh, Mr. Trudeau gives a press conference where he does indeed continue with his pledges to retaliate with tariffs if tariffs are imposed on Canadian steel and aluminium and makes the point that Canadians may be polite, but they're not going to be pushed around. Uh, I have made it very clear to the president that it is not something we relish doing, but it is something that we absolutely will do because Canadians were polite, were reasonable, but we also will not be pushed around. This apparently is treated by the president now in Air Force One as uh, an offensive act which has stabbed him in the back. And so we get uh, one of the most startling episodes of uh, Trump bad manners. Yet we have a tweet describing the Canadian Prime Minister as weak and dishonest. Uh, and we get the refusal to sign the um, communique, a remarkable development that they couldn't even agree to do that. And since then, we've had any number of other insults against Mr. Trudeau, some of which have been withdrawn. So coming away from this weekend, as the president is en route to Singapore for his meeting with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, the U.S. and its allies are hinting at a full-blown trade war. Not only does the prospect of a trade war with China loom in the distance at this point, we're also talking about neighbors to the north and south. John, how would you typically have expected the stock market, the U.S. markets in particular, to react to this kind of geopolitical uncertainty? I would have expected quite a sell-off. Um, it's Generally, markets don't like uncertainty. It's a cliche, but it's true. And this plainly carried with it the risk of some pretty bad things happening. There are various events for which we have a fair number of precedents since the war. We don't really have any precedents for a true trade war breaking out among nations that were previously amicable with each other since before the war. So, right, we've dealt with populist leaders, we've dealt with credit crises, but we don't really have any kind of historical lessons from a global trade war, you know, at least in the modern era, the post-war era, to be able to really know what to expect. Not saying that we've got to that stage yet, but we now have a real risk of that thing that's happening. And yeah, there, there is a lack of precedence for what's going to occur. Generally speaking, that will cause people to be cautious if they're trading in markets. You'd expect people to go into safe havens like bonds or like gold. You'd expect to see volatility increase. You'd expect people to get out of stocks. But that's not quite what we saw in the markets after this row between Trump and Trudeau. What actually happened last week was that gold, the great safe haven, actually fell quite badly. The VIX index remains very low. Uh, VIX index of volatility. As for the S&P 500, the world's most followed stock index, it's gained 0.01% for the week, basically as flat and boring a week as you could possibly imagine for the stock market after this extraordinary dra dramatic event that made it look as though world capitalism was in danger. Now, John has a few explanations for why this might have happened. But first, we have to understand the pattern of how markets, specifically the U.S. stock market, typically respond to what the president says, what the president tweets, and what the president does. When it comes to Trump's rhetoric, um, you did initially, as people steadily got used to him, you initially saw some kind of a response to the kind of things 
he was saying. That was particularly true at a company-specific level. So it's a long time ago now, but when he threatened to uh, to get a new Air Force One because he thought Boeing was ripping him off, that had a bad effect on Boeing's share price for a few days. There were quite a number of other examples like that in the early days of the, uh, of the Trump presidency. But broadly speaking, uh, most of the big political rows of the last year and a half, you can't see on a stock market chart. The healthcare debate wasn't regarded as particularly politically salient. None of the events with the firing of Jim Comey, the hiring of Robert Mueller, the whole Russian investigation, none of that has had any significant effect that you could see on markets. And it's really only uh, the a tax bill at the end of last year that moved markets in a significant way. People were unquestionably excited if they were wanting to make money out of stocks. They were unquestionably excited about the prospect of a corporate tax cut because that directly gives them more money if they're holding on to the stocks. But in general, you saw throughout 2017, it was a remarkably quiet, calm year people decided or people in the market decided that the phrase was used to be whether you took him literally or seriously. You should take him seriously because he was running the country, but you didn't need to take him literally and they didn't feel the need to respond to every little movement. Breaking news, terror in Charlottesville. A horrific scene in Charlottesville, Virginia. A white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence and chaos. Where two people have been injured in an altercation with protesters who are out in force over the planned removal of a Confederate statue. Watch this. The one big exception, I think, was the uh, Charlottesville incident last summer, where, if you recall, there was a, a large... Uh, march by neo-Nazis, racist protesters. That got ugly when they met counter-protesters. One of them died when one of the uh, neo-Nazis drove his car into a crowd of protesters. A very unpleasant event, obviously, which Donald Trump very signally refused to condemn the original neo-Nazi protesters, said that some of them had been very fine people. So you said there was hatred, there was violence on both sides. I do think there's blame, yes. I think there's blame on both sides. You look at at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides. That did affect markets, but not, I suspect, because people were angry about his lack of a moral stance, but more because it looked quite likely at one point that Gary Cohn, who was then Donald Trump's uh, leading economic advisor, and Steve Mnuchin, who still is the Treasury Secretary, both of those men are Jewish, and it seemed at one point possible that they were going to resign over his refusal to uh, condemn Nazis. And that did worry investors quite a bit for a few days. But apart from that, I don't think you can see any of the big public scandals, the big rows of the Trump presidency show up in in a stock market chart at all. It's a totally different story if you're watching, say, cable news versus just taking a look at what the S&P 500's doing. So if we go back to these past few weeks then of really strong rhetoric thrown around on trade, this last week in particular, statements that suggest the White House is prepared to start closing up parts of the U.S. economy, becoming quite protectionist. There's real action behind some of these tweets and official statements, yet the S&P 500, the markets, remain incredibly calm. How do you account for this sort of sanguine outlook? 
Well, there's a number of explanations, some of which are quite alarming and some of which may be more reassuring. All right, let's start with the first explanation. If you want the most reassuring explanation, we have had in the first quarter of this year, we had amazing profits and not just because of the tax reform, although that helped profits rose uh, more than 25% in the first quarter year on year. Uh, in the current quarter we're in, approaching an end, companies have actually increased their forecasts for profits as the quarter is going on. That's very unusual. It looks like we're going to have gains of more than 20% again. If you're a stock market investor, that is just absolutely fantastic. That's what you want. Your companies are making profits hand over fist. So U.S. companies are performing very well, and this has helped in part by tax reform. That's one possible explanation. What's another? Then there is another element of people who simply say you can safely ignore Donald Trump. He, he, we know that he says stupid, offensive things every so often. Then he generally pulls back. We're just not going to try trading on the, the back of everything he says. Right. So the sense that we, we'll wait till we see actual activity, which you know you could argue is around the corner. John, what's another? This is a difficult one for any market to gauge simply because we don't have a lot of trade wars in recent history to compare it to. The idea that Canada would fall out with the US in some big way over trade is just not one of those things. It's not like um, concerns about another war in the Middle East, which people have an idea how to deal with, or a new bubble in somewhere, some speculative bubble somewhere in the economy, or overextension of credit, any, any number of different things that follow cycles and people have some kind of an idea how to deal with them. I think in this case, people just don't know what to do about possible tariff warfare, and so they're doing nothing. That is certainly another quite plausible explanation. Right. And as we were saying earlier, there's just no precedent for this kind of all-out trade war in the modern post-war era. So investors don't really know how to price it in. Are there any others? Another explanation, though, is that people think he might actually win a trade war. Um, in that, if you look at the uh, share prices of companies that mostly export have done compared to the share prices of companies that mostly sell stuff to Americans, um, I think it's fair to say if you thought there was going to be a trade war, you would be more worried about the exporters. The exporters have comfortably beaten the domestic players since the top of the market in January. They've comfortably beaten the domestic players since Donald Trump took office, trumpeting his uh, intention to be more of a protectionist. So as it stands at the moment, um, the reaction to the threats of a trade war has been for the companies that stand to be protected not to do very well, and the companies that stand now to have more of a problem as they come up against tariff walls elsewhere to do well which is hard to explain other than that the market might implicitly be betting that Trump will successfully do a bit of bullying uh, and he'll get some minor concessions and win, uh, which would be somewhat good for those exporters that were helped and would not really hurt the world economy so much and would make his supporters at home feel better, but would ultimately not hurt anybody. John says there's another way to look at this, which might suggest that investors are betting on China winning whatever trade war develops. So if you take a look at the performance of companies that are exposed most to China, they are doing fantastically, far better than companies that sell most of their stuff to developed markets. And that's been true throughout the Trump presidency. 
So there is a belief that China is still the place to be. And maybe implicitly, there is a belief that a true trade war with China isn't going to happen because people are going to realize that's not a winnable war. So we've got a wide range of possible explanations for this rather negligible move in U.S. equities following threats of a trade war. But, John, there's one more, isn't there? One that worries you a bit? The final explanation, the one that isn't so encouraging, is that people are just being too complacent, uh, that because they, they're not prepared to work out what this will really mean, that they're just uh, not trying and um, hoping it will go away. I have to say the possibility of an outright serious trade war with all sides erecting tariff barriers on a wide range of goods still seems to me to be much less than a 50-50 chance, but it also seems more probable now than it did uh, a week ago before the before the G7 summit. So I am I cannot but be worried that that this is being treated so calmly by the markets that Surely it seems to me, and I think it would seem to anybody, that the risk of something materially bad for economies and for the corporate sector has risen as a result of what we've seen. So if we are dealing with a situation where investors have become somewhat complacent, this isn't unique to the back and forth barbs over tariffs. This ostensibly has been somewhat pervasive in markets for the last few years. What would it take to sort of shake investors awake? is a very difficult question to answer and i suspect the best answer even is even if it's an elusive one is that it's something i haven't thought of yet which means it's something other people haven't thought of yet uh, and will come as a genuine surprise when it comes i myself would have thought that the uh, the uh, a week that starts with the g7 summit publicly breaking down and ends with um 50 billion dollars worth of tariffs imposed by the US on China would have done the trick and it plainly didn't. It, people are working on the assumption that um, words and deeds are different. Um, I spend a lot of time talking to people who trade markets. There are plenty of people who thoroughly dislike the way this man chooses to behave, dislike the lack of dignity, all that. Um, it doesn't give them any particular reason to sell shares. John writes a Daily Markets Insights email called Author's Note. That's A-U-T-H-E-R-S. And you can sign up for it at ft.com forward slash newsletters. And I mentioned it last week, but we're working on an episode about student debt in the U.S. And we'd really love to hear from you. So if you're dealing with school-related debt in any way, and if it's prevented you from buying a house or, you know, starting your own business, drop us a line. You can email behindthemoney at ft.com or tweet me at Amy P. Keen. We'll be back next week. Hello, we're rethinking our podcast strategy here at the Financial Times and we'd love to hear your views. We're asking listeners to rate our podcast and to tell us what you like and don't like about our shows. To contribute to our survey, follow the link in our show notes or go to ft.com forward slash podcast feedback to enter our prize draw to win £500 or the equivalent in dollars. 